Well, I want to welcome all of you here. If this is your first time here, welcome and just really glad that you are jumping in and chose to worship with us this morning. My name is Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And as we enter Holy Week, we are jumping in. And my prayer for you is that this week would be a week that you interact with the scriptures that you have times of really mourning, right mourning, uh, as you look at the death of Christ, and then you have times of celebration as we move towards Easter. And so may this be a beautiful week. As we are jumping into things this morning, we're going to be finishing our series uh, that we've called By Faith. And really today is a great day for us to be looking at what this week actually means for us in our faith as a people who want to follow Christ with our whole lives. So I want to invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. And today we're going to be looking, as, as we have in the past, we have looked at all these people that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. These are uh, incredible stories of faith, but today as we look at some of those, Really, we are looking at what does our faith need to look like? What is it that this uh, chapter in Hebrews, what is it telling us about our faith? And so we're going to be taking a look at that. I want to invite you to stand with me as we read this text, as we stand in reverence to God and his word. And we're going to be starting in verse 30, and then we're going to jump to verses 32 through 40. So read with me. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. And what more shall I say? I do, I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better re resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You may be seated. And so, Father, I pray that right now in these moments that you would invade this space. That our minds would be taken to your word. That it wouldn't just be the words that you want to speak through me, but that you would speak into the minds of all of us here. And that your word would transform us. And so I ask, Lord, have your way. 
Have your way in each of us personally and in us as a church. May we be the disciples that you have called us to be. In your name I pray. Amen. So, many of you might remember the year 1989. In 1989, there was a movie that came out that was part of a series. The movie that came out in 1989 was Back to the Future 2. You might remember that film and the storyline of Marty McFly and Doc Brown. Well, in the second installment of that series, they decided that they were going to travel ahead in time in their DeLorean car, and so they went to the year 2015. If you can think back to that movie, if you saw it, you can probably remember them entering the year 2015, and since that is four years ago, I got to tell you, the, the movie got it wrong. We don't look the way that that movie showed in 2015, but they go to 2015, and Marty ends up doing something. As he's in 2015, he ends up finding this almanac book that has the results of every major sports event that took place from 1950 to the year 2000. And so he buys it. And his purpose was is he was going to take it back to in time and he was going to go back and he was going to have control of his future see that book meant a lot to him that something was going to take place and so he was going to take it back and through that book he was going to be able to place bets on every major sporting event and he was going to be in control of his financial future now i know it's a comedy movie but I gotta just tell you, the reason that Marty ends up doing this is because of a situation that all of us have. Because I would imagine all of us would love to have the opportunity that Marty had. And the reason for that is because Marty ended up having a situation going on within him and he was struggling with prideful control. He had prideful control in his life. He wanted to make sure that he could set his future. All of us want that. We want to have control of our life, and we want to set the course of our life, the direction that we want, and we desire to have that. And so as you watch that movie, you see that that little purchase really had great ramifications. It reveals the heart of what's happening in humanity. That we want to have control. And the problem with that, and the problem in that movie, is that it's absolutely unrealistic. We can't have that type of control. And I might need to remind you this morning, the reason we can't have that control is because we are the creation, we aren't the creator. See, when you are the creation, you don't get to have that control in your life. So what tends to happen is that when we are in control, what ends up happening and in invading the space of our mind in our life is that fear and forgetfulness come in. Fear enters, and fear is really looking at things and saying, we don't know what lies ahead, and so we fear what is coming. And forgetfulness jumps in, and it makes us forget the promises of God that were given before we were ever in existence. 
And so fear and forgetfulness want to invade and that pride of control in our lives ends up coming. And so what happens is that when life gets hard and and when life is, is a struggle, we have to understand who we are and what we believe will be challenged. Who we are and what we believe is going to be challenged. And for some of you, you're entering here this morning and life is hard. Life is a struggle, and so this aspect of faith in your life is, is, is kind of churning, and you're not sure what is taking place, and so you want this control, and it's not there. And i got to tell you, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who are being bombarded and whose faith is being challenged. The writer of Hebrews is seeing that the challenge that's happening with these people is that they are being tempted to turn back to Judaism because life is wearing them out. Persecution, struggle, people that are against them, families being separated because of what they are believing, and people are being worn out. And so their faith is being challenged. And I would imagine that for some of us, Some of us in this room right now, we are going through that very same thing. Or maybe you have come out of that season, or down the line, life is going to hit you, and you're going to be going through this season where your faith is challenged. And you're going to have this temptation of turning back. And the reason for that is because the desire when life gets hard is that we please ourselves and we seek comfort. We seek comfort in the temporary rather than the eternal. That's when the the forgetfulness comes in. And i got to tell you that if you are a follower of Christ, if you're following him with your life, you aren't called to seek comfort. You're not called to seek the temporary relief in your life. You are called to please the creator. You're called to please him. And so really what my desire as we look at this text is that you would see this morning and that this would become very real, that the the truth that we need to understand in our life as we look at Hebrews 11 is that the life that pleases God, the life that pleases him, is the life that obeys the gracious will of God. The life that pleases him is the life that obeys the gracious will of God. And so if we say that we are a disciple, I would, uh, I'm praying that for you and for me that obedience becomes an incredibly beautiful thing. You might be saying, well, how is that the case? And I, I want you to jump back to the beginning of this chapter. In Hebrews 11, in verse 1, uh, we start to read this, and I want you to see three verses right at the beginning. Verses 1 and 2 say, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then jump to verse 6. It says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, as a follower of Christ, our role, our purpose in life is to please him, not to gain salvation or not to gain favor with God, 
We already have that through grace, but we are called to please him because our life is about transformation and proclamation. It's about transformation and proclamation. Our purpose is to be to reveal who God is and his gracious will to all those that are around us. And so the writer of Hebrews is, is saying this is what's taking place. And in order for that to happen, it means that as disciples, obedience is part of our life. And for all of us, since we were young children to now, I would imagine that one of the struggles, just like Marty had, was this prideful control. And so obedience is this thing that's going to be battling within our life till the day we die. And so the writer of Hebrews takes us to several things for us to understand what obedience looks like. And so I want to walk through three things with you this morning that shows what our obedience should look like. So jump to verse 30, and in verse 30, we end up seeing some interesting uh, words here. It starts by saying, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. If you know the scriptures, this is the story that takes place in Joshua 6. See, Joshua was leading God's people, the Hebrew people, and, and he was leading them through all these areas in, in uh, the Middle East. And as they were going around, they came to the city of Jericho. And the city of Jericho had these amazing big walls surrounding the city. And the, the whole city was with, within there. And, and they came to that place, the place that they were supposed to have. And an angel of the Lord comes to Joshua. And he tells him what he's going to do. And, and so Joshua ends up uh, basically being told how they were going to conquer this city. And you've got to remember during this time, Joshua and the people, they didn't have battering rams. They didn't have ladders. They didn't have tanks and bombs. They had people. They had priests. But what they had was God. And so they are told that they are going to walk around the city for six days. And then on the seventh day, they're, uh, they're going to see something take place. And so all the people, the soldiers, are walking around the city. And then there are seven priests that are following them, walking in front of the Ark of the Covenant. But then, they, on that seventh day, they're going to walk around the city six times. And then on the seventh time around the priests are going to blow their uh, ram's horns really loud and the people are going to shout and the walls are going to crumble down. And so Joshua's given that plan. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that event, I don't understand what is taking place. I mean, can you imagine that Joshua is given this and what type of person walks away with confidence when he hears that? I mean, can you imagine Joshua? He enters back. Men, you are not going to believe this. We have the best plan ever. Here's what's going to take place. We're going to walk. Yeah, we're going to walk, and we're going to walk around this city. And the best uh, form uh, uh, of attack that we're going to have is these priests, these seven priests, they're going to blow a horn. I mean, this is going to be amazing. And so he is taking this back and he's saying, this is what's going to take place. Now when you read that, 
If we're honest, that plan is insane. It's wild. It's crazy. It's a plan that none of us in this room would come up with. None of us. But yet, it's the plan that Joshua is given. And I got to tell you that I would imagine that Joshua had some fear. But he also had faith. And what ended up driving the action that he took was his faith, not his fear. And the reason is because Joshua knew he was to please God. He was a man that was following God. And it's why we have to understand that obedient faith trusts God even in the face of uncertainty. See, obedient faith trusts God even in the face of uncertainty. Now, how do we know it's obedient faith? Well, look at verse 30 again. The writer ends up saying, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. But the biggest word in verse 30 is none of those. It's the word after. See, it's the word after is, is a word that we often overlook, that we just read this verse and we go quickly past it. But the walls did not come down before. The walls came down after. After they did what? They obeyed exactly the plan that God gave them. Exactly the will that God had. And so obedient faith always is looking at the after. Obedient faith is saying, whatever God says, I'm going to do. Even if the plan seems strange, I'm going to have confidence in God's gracious will. See, this might seem overwhelming. It might seem that obedience is, is strange, but obedience in the midst of uncertainty ends up building a strong faith. And I got to tell you that if you have entered today and you're going through that pain and that uncertainty and you're wondering, I got to tell you that there is an after. There's an after. And God does the most beautiful things in the after. But you have got to take the first steps of obedience. And so as Joshua did, he ended up taking those steps. See, what we have to understand is that we love the crisp, clean, the comfortable, easy plans. We love those. Those are the ones that we want to follow. And so this event in Joshua 6 goes against everything that we want in our Western culture. See, if something is costly, if something is hard, we end up putting uh, uh, the brakes on and we say, let's find a different way. we got to find an easier way But throughout the scriptures, we find that the faith in God, that people putting their faith in God is costly, but it's also beautifully courageous. And the same thing applies to us today. See, here's the deal. When we read scripture, we start to think that Joshua had these major faith decisions that he had to make every day of his life. But the reality is, is that's not the case. That Joshua had little faith decisions to make each and every day that led him to that when the major things happened, his faith was going to take action and fear was going to be put in the back seat. And the same thing is true for you and for me. 
So you're going to have the little faith decisions, the little faith opportunities of obedience each and every day. And the way you live those out will determine the steps that you take in the hard decisions of life. So I want to ask you, how are you being obedient? How are you living out an obedient life in the face of uncertainty? What are the things that you need to remember that God has done in the past that leads you into this season that is hard and that sometimes seems empty, but that you would keep that obedient faith in Christ? Because you have to remember that the life that pleases God is the life that obeys the gracious will of God. So the writer continues... So after verse 30, we jump to verse 32, and the writer continues, and he takes, the, he or takes this uh, quick turn. He ends up uh, using six names, and he then mentions the prophets, and he realizes he's running out of time. He's, he's writing this, and, and the time is, is running out, and so he has to get through things quickly. Now, it's amazing that the writer figures this, this out at chapter 11. Okay, but he's got to get some more words in. He's got to say some other things. And so in verses uh, 32 through 38, we see some amazing items mentioned. Amazing things take place. So what I want you to see in these verses is that obedient faith works in a variety of circumstances. In a variety of circumstances and in a variety of seasons of life. And the reason I say a variety is because we can fall into the thinking that a life with God, that the moment that we gave our life to God, that our life was to be comfortable, free from pain, that we were to improve and we were to look great in front of everyone that comes in contact with us. And the reality is, is that our faith in Christ isn't about comfort and self-improvement. See, our faith in Christ is about transformation and proclamation in every season that we live. Our faith is about walking with, with God through those seasons and understanding that his grace radically transforms every view we have and every circumstance. And so the writer shares these names. And what my prayer is, is that you read Hebrews 11 and you see what it was written for. See, we can look at, at this and say, well, Hebrews 11 is full of people of extraordinary faith, and those people had so much incredible faith. I can never be like them. And I got to tell you, if you think that way, that is exactly why Hebrews 11 was written. See, if you look back, they, this was written because people were falling away from the faith. They were being tempted to turn back. And so the writer is putting all these names in and saying, these are the messiest Sinful, faithful people, just like you and me. And you need to take comfort in what has taken place, and so these reminders are happening. And the reason this is important is because we have to understand that God's going to work in two different ways through our circumstances. The first one is that we're going to see, at times, immediate results. Immediate results. Think about this. The, the name that we see here is Gideon. 
I don't know if you know Gideon's story, but Gideon was a frightened farmer. He was this frightened farmer who was asked to lead a small band of soldiers to go and conquer a Midianite army. He was, he was by no means a soldier. If you and I would have come across him, we would have said, that's a farmer. But in Judges 6 and 7, where we find this story take place, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon as he's threshing wheat, and the angel of the Lord addresses him in a certain way. The angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That doesn't seem right to somebody that is threshing wheat. <laughs> it would have been right uh, if we're looking at it through our lens to say, the Lord is with you, gracious farmer. But Gideon is told right there that he is a mighty warrior. And so God's call comes, and through a timid, questioning man, God rescues his people from their enemies. See, what we have to understand is that God knew who Gideon was before Gideon even realized it. And so he calls him this. In Judges 4, we end up seeing the, the story of Barak. And Barak was told by the judge prophetess Deborah to go and to defeat the Canaanite army. And Barak ends up saying, well, I'm not going to do it unless you go with me. And so he ends up telling this woman who is not a warrior that I'm only going to go out to battle if you go with me. And so this takes place, and, and they end up going, and they end up conquering. But what's amazing is that the writer of Hebrews wants us to see that the timid man, Barak, was found with faith. Think of David. David is, is talked about through scriptures all the time, but he was just a simple shepherd boy that went to deliver items to his brother. And while he was there, because of his faith, he went out and he ends up conquering Goliath. And then it's later in, in life that we see that the pride and the control end up impacting David's heart. And it's through faith that he ends up repenting of his sin. David wasn't perfect. We end up seeing Samson. Samson was given this incredible strength. And he ends up falling into the lust in his life. And he ends up confessing to Delilah where he finds his strength. And so he loses it. But then God restores that strength so that he, by faith, can do God's will. See, it's in many of these stories that we find that in those moments as we read them, God invades and he rescues them immediately. Or he rescues them um, and, and he ends up shutting the mouths of lions. He ends up allowing men to stand in a furnace and never to be burnt. And all of these are immediate results that take place that we read about. And, and we read that and we, we think that's amazing and we miss the act of faithful obedience. So the reality for us today is that at times we're going to look at our circumstances and we're going to look at it and say, well, I want the immediate result. And I got to tell you, there will be times that God moves through your faith in an immediate way. 
Like me, you might have this on your phone, but I have the Starbucks app on my phone. I am not a morning person. And so I love my coffee. And so there will be mornings that I'm leaving, and as I'm leaving the house, I'll hop on my app, and I'll end up ordering my coffee. And so I'll go to the Starbucks, and through that app, I'm putting my order in, and as I get to the store, I walk in, and it's there on the counter with my name on it. And what's beautiful is because of the app, I get to go in, get my coffee, and never talk to anybody. <laughs> See, as, as a person that doesn't necessarily like mornings, why would I want to do that? But what ends up happening is I end up putting that in, I get my coffee, and I go about my day. And what can happen is just like that app, I approach my prayer life the same way, and I start praying, and I start asking God to do different things, and I expect God to act like the Starbucks app and do it immediately. And I got to tell you that there are going to be times that God acts immediately, and there's going to be times that he does not. And there's going to be times that we don't understand that. But what we find is that in verses 32 through 35, we see where God moves in kind of immediate results. But then in verses 35 through 38, when you look at that, I would call these delayed results. And that's just a nice way of putting it. But the people that we find that are talked about in verses 35 through 38, they are people that experience everything from those that are yelling at them to be being tortured and dying. The whole gamut of, of hard things. It's thought that the prophet Isaiah, the one that we read about during Christmas time that prophesied about the coming Messiah, it's, it's believed that he was sawed in half and that he died that way. See, there are some that weren't rescued from their earthly pain the pain that seems unfair, the results were delayed, but what the scripture says is that they were commended for it. it. It says that they were commended for it. And what we have to understand is what these people experienced was not because they were doing something morally wrong. What they experienced and what they took, the pain that they received, happened because of their obedient faith. Now that's hard. Because of their obedient faith, they end up experiencing some hard things. And so the reason that takes place and what we have to understand is that they had obedient faith even in a world that is at war with faith in God. And so because of that, that comes in. So I got to ask you, what does faith do? Or, or what does faith believe in during the moment of torture? What does it believe in? Does it believe that if God loved me, he would rescue me right now? I got to tell you, no. That's not the, the answer to that. See, obedient faith believes there is a future beyond this earth. Obedient faith believes in that, believes in a resurrection for the believers, which is actually better than the miracle of escape. That's what obedient faith believes in. See, faith loves God more than life itself. Faith loves God more than comfort itself. 
Faith loves God more than the job, more than the retirement plan, more than the toys, more than the bank account, more than the family, more than the corporate ladder. Faith loves God and knows that God and Jesus Christ is the reward. That's what faith believes in. There's a story of Kayla Mueller. Kayla was a, a young woman who traveled to Turkey in 2012. She was going there to help Syrian refugees that were fleeing the crisis in Syria. And at some point, Kayla ended up going into Syria with her boyfriend, and she was captured by ISIS. While she was captured, she was forced into marriage of the ISIS leader. And so she's forced into this marriage, and following that, she was enslaved, she was raped, she was tortured, and she was living a life that none of us would desire for our children or for ourselves. There's a story that says that there were some other captives, and she was brought in, and as these captives were going to be released, they wanted her, them to see her so they could go back and say that she is still alive. And as those that were holding her in slavery... We're looking at these other uh, captives. They said she denied her faith, and even though she went through all of that, she opens her mouth in front of everybody, and she says, no, I didn't. I still have faith in Jesus Christ. In 2015, Kayla died while in captivity. And when we hear that story, we ask the questions, why? Why did that take place? And what we have to see is that there is a young woman who ended up saying that obedient faith, that Jesus is my reward, and I will not deny him. C.S. Lewis was asked, why do the righteous suffer? And he replied with, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. See, Hebrews 11 is showing that the righteous can take it. Because they understand the glory that is found in God. And so pleasing God is about obedience to him. See, God's delays are not him denying you. His delays are not him denying you. I believe Isaiah had it right in Isaiah 40, 28. See, his delays are doing something because Isaiah ends up saying he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. See, God's delays are about you receiving faithful power through the grace of Christ. And then the author ends up in verses 39 through 40, if you take a look at it there, when you put these two verses with everything else that we have read over these weeks and you look at it, we find something beautiful. See, whether they were rescued or not, all of these were commended. They were commended. And the reason that these verses are stated when we look at this, if we understand this book of the Bible, if we understand for it to be sent to those that are facing persecution, to those of us that are here living in a world that is at great odds with Jesus Christ and his resurrection, then we have to understand that obedient faith reveals the blessing of God's grace to others. 
See, obedient faith reveals the blessing of God's grace to others. And so the lives and the stories that are passed on are there to encourage us, to build us up in the midst of every season we live in. And your life is the same. Are you living in a way of obedient faith so that you will be commended, so that you are encouraging, that you are ending up being a piece of the legacy of faith that we find in Hebrews 11? The, the, the faith they lived and the faith we have ends up putting our hope in a resurrection. The ones that were in the Old Testament were waiting for a Messiah. The Messiah has come and we are li living after that. And so our hope is found and we are made complete as one family because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And so because of that, we end up, we should be blessed by that. And, and because of that blessing of grace, we have this opportunity to live in obedient faith. And so how are you passing that on? See, the life that pleases God is the life that obeys the gracious will of God in every season, in every circumstance. And so if we're going to have obedient faith, this means that we must take obedient action. Just like it says in, in verse 6 that we are to please God, meaning that disciples are doing something. And I want to give you three things real quickly that I believe that as we look at Hebrews 11, this leads us to the action that we take. And the first thing is this. Love the Scriptures daily. Love the Scriptures daily. As you love the Scriptures daily, you read about this, and this is what encourages you to take action, to be obedient, and so love them daily. The second thing is to surround yourself with other disciples. I want to encourage you, get into a life group where you talk about the seasons that are just incredibly hard and you celebrate the seasons that are incredibly good and you say God is good in all of it and you remind one another that Jesus is the reward, not the items that are on this earth. And that you do that together. The last thing is that you would remember that the power of faith in Christ is more powerful than your fear. That there is power in faith. And so when your faith interacts with your fear, it ends up radically transforming the situation. It means that when you are in a, a, a good season, you might be seeing that God has rescued you from something, or you end up seeing your hard season from a new perspective, and you say that God is still present. And you understand that there is power in the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And so I pray that we would be disciples, that we would be a community, that the life that pleases God is the life that obeys the gracious will of God and God's disciples would move in that obedience and that we would see God's hand in the situations, the circumstances, and the people around us. And may he be glorified. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. And I pray, Lord, that we would be disciples that follow you with our whole life, that we would take obedient action, that we would understand that in the good and in the bad, we are called to this. So we give you this. We ask that you move.
It's your name I pray. Amen.